0: Here we go. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adele Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host with the most, as always, Adil Marcy. And today I am so Im- like right now you can hear my energy's toned down just a little bit, it's a bit more muted than usual. And the reason is uh, I'm fanboying a little bit because I'm, I'm not even showing my guest this because I'm like trying to keep a very straight professional look, but fan- fanboying like crazy on the inside. Um, we got the legend himself. I told you season four is all about the legends and the legends tour itself. And it couldn't be done without this person, uh, Mr. Bob selling now, Bob and I, I he and I go way back. And I say that in the sense of, I go way back with this material. Um, I first was exposed to him through Frank Kern, through the 40 cash machine, uh, JV stuff that he was doing. I read his blog for a couple of years. I followed him around like a hapless child. I friended him on Facebook and secretly stalked his Facebook profile for a while. Um, But this guy is hands down probably one of the few people who's truly changed the way I look at contract negotiation and licensing my copy, particularly because, just because I know you're here, Bob. Um, What Bob did to me more than anything was uh, beforehand, I used to charge, I think, 500 bucks for a full sales funnel. It's terrible yeah we'll get into that in a moment but just remember that what Bob did changed all that and again to uh, explain a little bit more about how he did it but before saying anything more Bob welcome to the show it's a pleasure to have you here
1: well thank you very much and uh, I'm, I'm glad that this is audio because I'm blushing and I just <laughs> want to let you know that what a legend does in the spare time is I just got done taking in the trash can so uh, that,
0: that's the legendary work it gets done daily i honestly believe i think every i reckon copywriters are kind of that special breed where we're like we can live that crazy lifestyle if we want to but most of the time we'll just sit behind our desk take the trash out and just be normal people with like quietly putting away what we want to do um but very quick shout out to our sponsors our sponsors for this episode uh we're sponsored by story selling blue uh, story selling emails.com sorry uh, emails.com, where I will be showing you how to break down an email sequence uh, and write your email sequence in 15 minutes. Um, and I will take the Pepsi challenge with anyone at all. Bring it on. I will happily test my system against yours. Uh, and we're also sponsored by today's episode, which is SalesGrowthSystems.com. Links will be in the description. Go there. Check out Bob's podcast, which I'll be a part of as well. Um, and go check out all the other shows. He's had some great people on there. He's had Brad Costanzo on there. Uh, you've had Steve Ulsher, um, Joel Airway. You had John. What's it? John Corcoran. Yeah, John,
1: uh, John Corcoran. Yeah.
0: yeah John's his a, name is really hard to
1: pronounce. He's a brilliant guy. Yeah. I always want to say Cochran, but it's yeah, Corcoran. Yeah.
0: It's, it's so, so, so close. And you had Roland as well on there. Yeah. For, uh, John,
1: Wolf, right? brilliant. Yeah. Roland and uh, Joe Fear and Matt Wolf a couple times. Matt Stefanik with a brilliant way to use facebook groups that is so simple anyone can use it to really build up leads and sales um uh, matt is kind of an under the radar guy who's just brilliant oh, yeah. I,
0: I love matt wolf he's he's a really good dude oh, um, no, about matt stefanik oh yeah no matt stefanik uh, i've got his show i've got his wife coming on the show in like two weeks Amy, yeah, Amy, yeah, Amy's coming on the show. Okay. I think I'm going to try and yeah. wrangle Matt as well. I'll let them know that you uh, you sang his praises. I'm sure he'd love that. Um, but very quickly, just kind of like getting off of that, right onto the point, guys, go check it out. Sales it was goddamn. I'm going to try and remember this down. It's salesgrowthsystems.com. Go check it out. I highly recommend it. Now, very quickly, kind of jumping off this, the first thing we're going to ask Bob is, what have you been up to? Like, and like, it. What's been happening lately? I have no well, idea.
1: Well, you know, I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So, isn't, isn't that the best thing, though? I, I'm like, you know, it's funny because I started as a copywriter, and most people see me as a licensing guy or a marketing guy. But at the heart of everything, I'm a copywriter. And and I think you kind of touched on it, but most copywriters I know are pretty introverted. Including me, and we come out of our shell a bit on interviews like this. But you know, I spend a lot of time just <laughs> kind of uh, cooking up ideas and schemes in my head, and that's that's the plague of the copywriter and being creative. So I pretty much I jump back and forth between licensing, marketing, and inventing products and services. And they're all types of licensing. And when it comes to marketing, I focus primarily on large scale networked joint ventures, which is a type of license because a, a joint venture is a license. It's an agreement between two companies to work together temporarily, and nobody owns anyone else's property. So there's that, and then licensing marketing campaigns, and then I invent. Products, physical products that I license to large corporations. So I kind of flip between them um, and I'll focus on one for a while. Then I'll get a wild idea for the other and I'll take whatever I was focusing on and push it to the background and come forward with something else. But that's basically what my life is like.
0: I actually relate to you on so many of those levels. Besides being an introvert, because I'm actually a huge extrovert which is quite rare for a copywriter to be. I've actually realized uh, the more I spend time around other writers, I'm like, well, I'm really the only one that wants to go out and chill out with people. But I do like being by (laughs) myself. But the cooking up of ideas is one of my favorite things to do. And that is... The blessing and the curse of a copywriter, in my opinion, and of a marketer is because you're like, I could totally do this. Yeah, I have all the yeah. time in the world to do this. And then you do it and you're like, I'm going to go do this other thing. It's like you've got a long list, or at least I do, a love long list of like half-complete projects that could work. Like, and I mean, it, That's
1: one of the reasons that I love inventing products because it's one of the few disciplines that allows you to do a bunch of different things and kind of encourages you to sell everything else. is Well, focus, focus on this, you know, focus on just try. If you're going to teach marketing, focus on just traffic or just copywriting or just Facebook advertising or just joint ventures. But with product development, um, you can jump around to all kinds of different products and you actually do better doing that. So I'm, I've always been naturally attracted to that.
0: I think it's just down to curiosity. I think that's what it is. We're just curious that we can try different things. Yeah. uh, It's incredible. So something I did want to ask you particularly when it came down to, because I don't want to turn this interview just into just about copywriting because there's so many facets about you that I really want to explore. Particularly, I want to know how it is that you came up with the whole licensing side of things because... A lot of people have the whole contract thing and they screw around. I know I did for a very long time and I still do from time to time. How did you, A, come up with the idea and the concept of like licensing properly and, B, actually have clients sign up with that? Because I've tried it a few times. I've had some success. I've had some pushback. Yeah. Well, okay, the, the way I
1: came up with it is through inventing because all inventing... Is a it's a license, uh, and it's a licensing agreement. So when you invent a product, you license that idea to a company, and they pay you royalties for it. So, and so maybe I don't know. I I had licensed. I had had a software company at one point with a couple partners, which was really interesting because I barely got out of high school, and these guys were all PhDs. and and coders and educators, but understood how to take this stuff and put it online. So, it was all licensed though. We would license our software. Just like, I mean, you know, you have an iPhone and you think, well, I own the phone. And you do, but you license the operating system. And if Apple wanted to, they could turn off everybody's, legally they had the right to turn off everybody's access to the software if they want to, but they don't. They just keep giving you updates so you'll buy more iPhones. Mm-hmm. So, when I sold the, my share of the software company and I came back to marketing and I looked at it and I thought, wow, I've got all these campaigns. I'd written this letter, a one and a quarter page sales letter for a guy that got him a a letter of agreement for a $25 million contract. And his company had uh, only, was only doing about $2 million a year, so he was obviously out of his mind happy with it. But I had taken that letter and cloned it from something I had written to write our software, I mean, to sell our software. So I figured, well, and then I took it and I licensed it to him. And then I started licensing it to all kinds of people in the professional services industry, basically just using the same model we use for our software. And then I expanded it out and created, I, I went back and I took all of the best marketing campaigns I had created for clients, and I took them and put them into a generic format uh, and that's one of the things that people don't understand is when you write copy for a client, unless you've signed, uh, for the, non compete agreements, well, not even a non-compete, but, um, you actually own that copy unless you sign an agreement that assigns it to the person you wrote it for. So, but I didn't want to do anything that would harm my client, So I took, Only those campaigns that I could create generic versions of and customize for clients. And then I went out and started licensing them to all kinds of clients. And I had a couple people who I had trained who would customize them and implement it. And that way I didn't have to work as much and I could goof around with my dogs and indulge my uh, photography hobby and invent more toys and
0: products and stuff. And so it, it worked really well. See, I have a question here, just completely side-noting for a second. Canon or Nikon?
1: It doesn't you... matter. I'm, I'm Canon, but I may switch to Sony or Nikon because it's like anything else. Technology changes seriously about every three years. Yeah. So up until two years ago, Canon was light years ahead of everybody. Yeah. Now Sony's Nikon connected. and Sony are neck and neck light years ahead of Canon. So I will probably switch to one or the other in the next six months.
0: I'd say go with the Sony A six one thousand, uh, A sixty one hundreds. Uh yeah. Well for what
1: what I do I'd need an A nine. I need very high shutter speed.
0: Okay. That's cool. Yeah, see, I'm just, I'm currently, uh, because my place got robbed like two years ago, so they stole two of my cameras. so I managed to get like a, uh, in the heat of replacing everything, I picked up a, a $500 Canon, uh, T3i, uh, Rebel or, yeah, uh, 600D, which is a great camera for like video work and for like photos. I mean, it has a great resolution, but it's, so, you know. Yeah, for all that for.
1: stuff, all those bodies are great, but my hobby is nature photography and particularly birds and they move really fast. So, so I have that. to use I have to use a pro body, a pro lens and have very fast shutter speed and be able to shoot 10 frames a second or more. So yeah. it, Sony only the A9 will really do that. Oh
0: wow. That's pretty cool. But yeah, kind of like circling back to this though. So like when it came down to licensing your uh, copy, so I, I'm going to ask for an, for an example of this just simply, I'm going to give you a hypothetical and see exactly how we would do this because like my brain's like, I get it, but I just, I just need a little bit more. It's this idea of, say for instance, I wrote for the self-development market and I wrote a letter for a coach, a life coach for, per se. Mm-hmm. So I don't have the basic elements of this letter and obviously I'd need to change the story out. I need to change out what the product or what the inclusion is or what they're selling. So it's just that easy on that, but right. the angle and the whole thing stays the same. So say I'd approach a client, say they paid me, uh, the first client paid me $10,000 to write this ad for mm-hmm. them, um, or even 15 or more, let's just say 10 is an average. Um, and I went to license it to someone else. Would you charge them the same amount or would you charge them a percentage or would you charge them an amount and a percentage? Okay. We well, let, let's let go back a, half a step.
1: With the first client, I'd never charge them 10000 Okay. I would say, look, here's the deal. Let's test this and see if it works. It'll be $2,500 plus 20% of the profits it generates for you. That way, you don't have to put much in to get started. And if it doesn't work, I'll refund that advance. Right? Most business people look at that and go, wow, that's great. I don't have to put up a lot of money to get started. Now, you have to have them put up some money. They have to have skin in the game or the project never gets done. A lot of people will say, you know, especially newbies to marketing, well, I'll just do all this for free in a percentage and all these companies will want to work with me. No, they won't take you seriously because it shows that you don't value your own skills and time. So that's what i do first with that client. Then, once it works, I'd find clients in other related industries that don't directly compete with them and say, hey, I just wrote this letter for uh, somebody in this industry. I wouldn't use the person's name, uh, unless you have permission to. Um, I think it should be a really good fit for you. This is what it did for them. And if you can include a testimonial, you do. And um, say, I have a, you know, I'm strongly confident that it will work for you too. Do you want to take a look at it and talk about it? And when you take a look at it and talk about it, and when it gets down, inevitably, they're going to say, hey, what's this going to cost (laughs) And you then say, well, I think you'll like my fee structure, too, because I don't charge you an arm and a leg up front. I charge you a small deposit against 20% of the profits. That way we can test this thing really inexpensively. You don't have a lot of money hanging on the line. And if it doesn't work, I'll refund your deposit. And that's, I mean, that's the whole thing. And that's how you get clients to do it.
0: That's awesome yeah see i love that see whenever i did uh, percentages i made the horrible mistake initially in the early stages of doing it for free with a percentage only which never worked yeah. out um and i quickly learned i always need a, a deposit in i think the smallest deposit i ever took from a friend of mine was one dollar and fifteen percent yeah and the only reason i took one dollar was because we, we kept I kept saying to him, listen, you've got a blank check. Just write whatever. I don't care what it is. Just let me work on this. Because it was a really easy thing I wanted to write for. Um, and that was a male suicide prevention um, and de- detection uh, program that he was doing. And oh. and me being, we licensed my story for this. I mean, I don't run it anymore because it's sold the company and I didn't want my, li- my story to be used for it. But um, my listeners know this, but, like, I'm someone that attempted suicide, like, seven times before I turned 20. Oh. So, wow. yeah, like, really went for it balls to the wall. Um, haven't since, which is a good thing. Yeah, haven't done so yeah. since I was 18, which is lovely. But it's one of those things I just used that whole because the initial ads they were running were just not terrible, but they weren't talking to the actual emotion. So when I wrote it, it was just entirely like, this is how you actually feel. I mean, if you feel something like this, just this is what, what the path is leading to yeah. and if yeah. you notice these signs that your child because it, it, it was aimed for young men uh, between 18 and 35 um, and it was like family members and friends that would see this it's like I we'd want the that's going through this to buy it but then to also give it to their friends as a way to be their support system sure because that's the best way you get around it uh, and that's the reason I owned it for a dollar and 15% I was like I'll do it for a dollar they're like why only a dollar i was like honestly you could pay me ten thousand dollars and i do this 15 or whatever it is i only want a dollar because i want in i I don't care how much you pay me i just want in
1: yeah and that's a little different that when you're when you're dealing with clients who come to you through uh, a lead magnet or a referral or you've even um i mean for for years we still send cold solicitations and if the solicitation's structured the right way, and it's for the right industry, and you have a great testimonial and track record, it works. You can get. I I don't cold call on a phone, and I don't use a sales team to call on a phone because I don't like it. I don't yeah. like to be called myself, so I don't use any method that I don't like. But if somebody sent me um, an email or a letter, I'd look at it, and so that's what I use. And and it worked. But with those types of clients, I always want a deposit between um, 2500 and 7500 depending on the, the scale of the project.
0: Yeah. See, I, I think your structure might actually benefit me a little bit better because I still get nervous asking. Like my biggest clients have always paid like three times. I've been paid $50,000 for the entire thing. And it's just so much pressure for me. Whereas it's like 7,500 is easy for me. I'm like, Oh, I get a percentage of whatever comes in. That might be easier because I can easily tell someone it's $7,500 for this. Yeah. Like, Oh yeah, great. Here you go. And let's, let's go from there. But kind of like taking a step in another direction just to do with lead generation, because I know a lot of people listening to this, are like, Oh wait, direct mail still works. Yes, it does. What is it that you send out particularly in a cold Letter to lead generation. What do you say in there that actually brings people in, and who to, Like, what industries do you usually go with? Well, Not, you don't have to reveal all of it. Just some no, of it, guess, it, so. You just. Hmm. You have to think about.
1: Um, you know what. What result or what, uh, you know, end product somebody want and. What end result they want, what will help them increase their business. So it, it's really no different than sending an email to your list. You understand the people on your list, and you customize the copy in your email to appeal to whatever end result uh, that that people want. So that's, I mean, that that's really how you write any copy, as you know you. You know, we figure out, well, what is it? I mean, you gave a great description. What's in the mind of somebody who's contemplating suicide? And if I can understand that and communicate that, that will resonate with them. They'll connect with that. So if you can create, if you can write something in a simple human way that's not full of hype and over-promising and just communicate that, Compu- communicate that simply, my lead generation letters tend to be maybe 300 words, and it'll be something along the lines of what we discussed before, which is said, hey, you know, I, I'm, I see you're in uh, the sales training industry. I just created a, a sales letter for somebody in the insurance industry, and they're all, that's professional services as well. I have a, a, a really strong feeling that this will work really well for you. Now, when we did it for them, we thought it would increase his sales by about 12 to 15%. But he recently wrote and told me it increased his sales by 47%. So if we could do even half of that for you, I think it would be really beneficial. If you're interested, let me know. And we can get on the phone and I'll, Walk you through how it works, and that's all there is to it. Wow!
0: Yeah. So everyone listening to this right now, uh, please feel free to grab that and use yeah. it, and then write Bob a ton of testimonials. Because... <laughs> and that—that's the letter that I charge people all
1: this money to license. No, but but that's really the gist of any good copy is understanding what someone needs and showing them some type of social proof that it worked yeah and saying you know strong chance it would work for you too if you're interested let me know um and you have to to me especially in cold lead gen you have to really avoid anything like um uh, you know, creating a sense of false urgency. But yeah, get back to me in seven days because this is only good. Well, you might as well just put them into an infomercial on TV and they'll turn it off right away. So you avoid all of
0: that. In my opinion, there's only a few times that you should really use scarcity. If you're using scarcity, you should do it correctly. Which is, yes, you're only making this offer for the next three days. Um, I think I did that once and the offer was, uh, I'm going to use a situation that's personal that we both know about uh, but not giving any, any of the details away but um, it's very similar. I actually had to go in for a root canal um, and I wrote I wrote an email out to my list just saying guys I'm paying for a root canal I'm going to go do this. This is the offer I have for you. It's only valid between uh, Friday and Monday. The reason it's only valid until Monday is is because I'm going in for my root canal yeah. and it's only valid from this weekend because I've taken this weekend off from all social activities to sit down with you and run through everything so I can actually help you because I know I'll be very I'll be very loopy I'll be very out of it and I probably won't want to speak to anyone for two days so let's do everything this weekend to be free let's get on sold really well. And then I've never run the ad ever again because I'm like, it was a true scarcity thing for me. Yeah.
1: And that's the difference because what I said is you never want to use false scarcity, yeah. especially in cold lead gen, but I don't like false scarcity anywhere. Like countdown yeah. timers. I won't use them. They're, yeah. they are so phony and yeah, people say they work, but they I don't rush it. W- I don't want to compromise my ethics just because something works. I mean, lying works, you know? How far are you going to take the yeah. phoniness? But, but I mean, it's certainly I use scarcity. Like, um, you know, I had discovered that I had 100 copies, or not 100, it was like 130 copies of an old program I had written. And so I sold it off for about 15% of what it cost. But that was all I had. And when they are gone, they were gone. And, you know, and, and then... I have mentoring programs and coaching programs where enrollment is pretty limited to anywhere between twelve and twenty people. And that's not false scarcity, that's a Sometimes, fact. But you can yeah. you can leverage that fact to create a sense of urgency and I and I have nothing against doing oh, that.
0: I, I agree entirely. But what I'm getting at is when you see it online um, I, I think I've done it before as well where I uh... You know, the old one-time offers, I love one-time offers so much. Yeah. Like when you get an upsell, I developed a plugin. Um, I, I paid someone to develop this plugin for my site and it's on one of my hard drives somewhere where I would have, it, it wouldn't be a countdown. It would just say, you are only seeing this page once and once only because we've tracked your IP and yeah. this is the offer. And I had so many people get mad at me because I wouldn't put that page back up because it basically blocks their IP immediately. They're like, you really do that, don't you? I was like, yes, because if I'm going to be scarce, I'm going to be truly scarce to you because there's no point in lying about it.
1: Yeah, see, I'm, I'm just the opposite. I'm not a fan of one-time offers at all because I think they do put a pressure on a person to make a decision that they're not necessarily ready to make. Um, and it's kind of like if you had a date and you went out with someone and said, this is it sleep with me now or we never see each other again.
0: Wait, you know, you're telling but, me that doesn't work? <laughs> oh no. Well, I
1: it, it worked when my wife said that to me when we first met and she demanded <laughs> oh no. no, 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 no. <laughs> now I'm really getting into fantasy land, right? And and I just I I don't like I don't like that and I look at I look at marketing as a relationship. I want people to stay on my list. I want, actually, I want people to quit my list as quickly as possible if what I do isn't right for them. Yeah. But I want them to find that
0: out through my free content, not
1: through pressuring them to buy content, stuff.
0: Right. Yeah. It, like oh. I said, it's something that I don't do anymore. At the time I yeah. did because it was so, it was so the norm. Like the funnel used to be. Buy a front end, then get them to actually buy this next thing, and that's a one-time yeah. off costly. I believe in serious offers. Then they buy it, then
1: an upsell, and if that doesn't work, then a downsell, and it's just so manipulative.
0: And yeah, does it work? Yeah, a lot yes. of people say it say it does, but um, there is an ethical way to do it. In my opinion, I mean, this is just the only way to do it, is where you don't really, you don't make dumb pressure-based offers like I, I always tell people look if you're going to buy this say they bought a 20 ebook from me the next thing i'm going to sell them is a hundred dollar offer but the thing is i'd never tell them it was 200 dollars. it's only 100 today i'm like no this is the reason why things will go very well with it if you're actually in the right spot right now i'd make this offer for you right now if not come back to me later there's no real pressure there for them to buy yeah. but there is yeah enough compelling reasons to get them to say yes if they want to say yes if it's correct sure. for them and of course the email follow-up sequence puts them onto the next bit and so on and so forth yeah. that's for me that's an ethical way of doing it and i'm glad sure. that you brought this up because um there's something that i've been an advocate of for so many years because when i first started writing copy uh, professionally at 18 um i had been doing it unconsciously for six years prior and that's a fun little story in its own right uh One of the first times I saw this happen was, I can't remember who it was, but someone said the best way to actually get someone to buy is to stab, you want your prospect to read your letter and feel like you stabbed them in the back and twisted the knife and the only way they can take it out is by buying your product because that's the only way (laughs) you alleviate pain. And for a very long time, I was like, this does not sit right with me. I don't know what it is. And you can probably see my cat over my shoulder yeah. just stretching out. It's a little leopard. just loves himself. I was going to ask if
1: it was a bangle or what, a beautiful
0: Yeah, just uh, he's a bangle, so is she, but she's asleep and he just runs away. He's like, wait, I'm on camera. I should run away. <laughs> um, but I was going to say, so the thing that really shifted it for me was writing from this place of pleasure, never pain, which was uh, this ideal of... How can I paint a pleasing picture for my client or my prospect or my reader to feel like, wow, I really want this. Yeah, this is the thing I want rather than going, I'm in pain right now. I need a solution. Yeah. Walking the line between the two is the path. I I like
1: the concept, but there are times
0: when pain
1: is a real situation. For example, when Facebook changes its algorithm and all your ads stop working. I didn't create that pain, and I'm not exacerbating. That's a hard word to say. Exacerbating. Not rubbing it in. I can't say exacerbating. But (laughs) say to someone, hey, look, if your Facebook ads aren't working anymore, or or just say, you know, is, is Facebook killing your revenue right now? I'm not making that up. I don't have to. I don't have to stimulate something that was deep-seated that people didn't think about. They're going through it right now. So to yeah. say, hey, I, I've got a couple alternatives you might want to look at.
0: See, that's using it ethically. Yeah, See, that's right. what, I mean. what I'm actually speaking about is the stuff that really goes on that you've seen it. I'm sure you have, which is the whole uh, God, which was one of my favorite ones that I've seen so far over the years. It's probably going to be it's not even, it's not even a natural occurring thing or it just, it was out of your control. It's, um, I can't remember what it is now. I think it was two, two girls teach sex at one point. Cause I was, I, I wrote for the dating market for a very really? long time. Really, Do you have a URL for that? They did. Yeah. Two no, girls. No, I'm teach. Te- I'm teasing. I'm oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I totally missed that for a second, but they, <laughs> okay. um, but they, they did actually use quite a bit of pain in that. And it was, it was manufactured pain because it's, it's, Yes, it sells. Yes, sometimes it's for the greater good because it does help you out to actually make a buying decision. But yeah, for me well, personally... Sorry, and, and, and
1: you're right. And that's really what drives the dating space. Yeah. Uh, you know, are it's either are you a jerk and you want to learn not how to be a jerk or how to hide it, or are you a good person but people treat oh, you like yeah. a jerk and you want... Either way, it's pain and it it's... It's, um, it's really kind of crummy. That's why there's I've seen a couple of these dating apps, um, you know, either online or on TV, where they talk about, you know, we're not just for dating. We're not for the fast score. We're for people who want a real relationship.
0: And that's cool. I like those. Yeah, Definitely. But that that's kind of showing the side that I like to say that's more the pleasure based advertisement stuff, which I really like writing for. I find if you combine the two together, and the best analogy I've come up for it is this uh, idea of my prospect bless them that they'll um, not everyone that's lost, uh, not everyone that's wandering is lost. I, I butchered that quote. Uh, by J.R. Tolkien, because I can't think of it right now, but you know which one i are on about. So my prospect's walking around the dark, and the way they always put it is when I find them, they've already fallen into a vat of uh, piranhas and are trying to pull themselves out. So my thing is I like to pull them out, uh, take the piranhas off and put a mirror in front of them, say, see, you got bit by a piranha here, here, and here. These are the little pain points that I'm going to highlight that you could have. But the pleasure is I'm going to give you the glow-in-the-dark roadmap. map that's gonna show you exactly where all these little vats are, so you can get to your destination. Okay, find the safe for Para the free. And the choice is, uh, I'll still show you the map and show you where you want to go. But to buy the map and walk the path is how you work with me. But if not, then you know you're on your way, and I'll keep pulling you out as much as I can. Yeah. So it's like a nice little combination of the two for me.
1: But you know, sometimes sometimes pain works great, and yeah. and the people who use it best are the big direct mailers like Agora and Phillips and Rodale. And I remember this one, and I, I'm going to paraphrase it, but and, and, and it probably was Agora because they sell all these health newsletters. And it said, for 85% of people, uh, the first symptom of heart attack is death. Dot, dot, dot. Here's how to make sure you're in the other 15%.
0: That was that's brilliant. Com- that's br- that that's a great headline. Valid. See, I love headlines like that. It's one of the reasons I'm really a huge fan of Agora as well. And we had uh, Joe Schreifer, the the guy that's basically running their head copywriter Agora. Uh, he's a good dude. I'll connect you guys if you haven't already connected. It, I'm sure he'd be very stoked to to speak to you <laughs> personally. I was as soon as Brad did it, I was like, "Holy crap, this is amazing!" Yes, Brad. Always <laughs> just sent him a message afterwards, going, "Thank you." You've made my dream come true. But something I did want to ask you more than anything, Bob, was um, this idea of like, how did you actually get into writing copy? Because that's something that... And you've had a really long career as a, as a copywriter yeah. as well. So two questions, really. How did you get into it? And have you survived so long? And thrived <laughs> for so long? Oh, uh, pretty interesting. That's,
1: that's a funny question. So I... Um, so I, I live in San Diego, and before San Diego, I lived in the Los Angeles area, mm-hmm. and I barely got out of high school. We were talking about this earlier. I you know, didn't have any college, and I really wasn't interested in working, and I didn't have a real job until I was 27, because I, I had a couple little part-time jobs. I spent most of my time hanging out at the beach, playing volleyball, and body surfing, and going to parties, and that was my life, as were a lot of people. There there are still adult males, in particular, in San Diego, people in their 50s and 60s, who work part-time jobs delivering pizza so they can surf every day. And that's kind of where my life was going. and. I was playing volleyball with a bunch of people. God, I'm going to make this as short as I can. And somebody offered me a job learning to program computers. And I had no aptitude for that. I said, sure, I'll try it. So I started doing it. And I had a little bit of aptitude. And I liked it. And they were paying me a lot of money. So I started doing that. And then I ended up getting a job with a major bank. Programming computers and managing, and then from there, managing a team of computer programmers. And all the manuals at that time were written by IBM or the other big manufacturers, and you couldn't read them. They were so full of technical gibberish. So for my team, I took our main manual, and I rewrote it in plain English, right? Right. I threw in a little humor here and there. And somehow somebody in the PR department at that bank, and this is a big bank with 600 branches, and it was huge. Somebody in the PR department saw it and said, Would you, this is it's great. We really like it. Would you like to write a press release for us? I didn't know what a press release was. And I said, sure. And that night, you know, I went online I started searching what's a press release and (coughs) found a book how to write a press release that works it was what it was called I don't remember who wrote it and so I wrote this press release and I really enjoyed it and from there I discovered a book I don't remember the title but it I'll I'll paraphrase it was by Melvin Powers how I made a million dollars in mail order or something like that that and so I bought that book, and it was really about copywriting. And he recommended a book by Victor Schwab called How to Good Write right ad. Ad. a Great Ad. Great book. Still one of my favorite books of all times. Mm-hmm. So I bought that, and I'm reading this stuff. I going, wow, I like this a lot more than I like working with computers. So I went to the PR department, and I said, hey, can I write an ad for you? I said, oh, no, no, no. You can write PR, but we don't, we don't let our staff do advertising. We have an ad agency that does that. It's great. Long story short, I put out a very short ad in an industry publication that said, hey, uh, if your copywriter doesn't know the difference, and this was really at the kind of the beginning of the internet, and in the beginning of a lot of technical changes. It said, if, if your copywriter doesn't know the difference between a computer chip and a potato chip, I can help you out. And it was just a little two-sentence classified ad. And I attracted a couple clients that way, and it just grew from there. So <laughs> that's the whole story.
0: That's incredible. So that leads me to my second question. I'm going to preface this a little bit it's in the sense of like – how you've managed to actually stay active as a copywriter for so long because um I'm as I've said I'm approaching my 11th year as a a professional copywriter and it's my 17th overall um but even I've had those moments where I've wanted to walk away from writing permanently I mean I think I announced my retirement last year and I got a mentor to help me with another business and they were like no you need to go back to writing copy and I kind of Begrudgingly came back, and then this year I was like, you know what, I'm back, let's go for it. Well,
1: what's so- fine is that few people are really built to do nothing but write copy. There's yeah. a cu- couple pe- few people who are Clayton Makepeace, yeah, oh, okay, Bob, Bob Bly, yeah, a lot of the people who write for Agora and Phillips, and then, um, uh, what's his name, uh, David Deutsch, Brad Peterson. Um, Paris Lampropolis, people who a lot of people on this podcast have never heard of because they're
0: perfect
1: copywriters. They don't do anything but write copy. I can't write copy nonstop. It drives me crazy. I can write really good copy, but only sporadically. So, you know, a lot of people would always ask, well, well, that's really good, but what should I do to improve uh, my SEO or my Facebook ad or this or that? And I'm giving away this free advice and I'm going, well, I can sell that advice. So I quickly shifted. I still wrote copy to keep paying the bills, but I started shifting towards being um, a trainer and a consultant. And so the first thing I did as a trainer was write a copywriting course. Yeah, and I started selling that, and training people to write copy. And again, you know, it's almost like licensing. It's a template, and it's a formula, and you're teaching that same formula over and over again, instead of starting over from square from one to yeah. teach someone to write. So, um, <clears throat> I, I found that I just didn't have the temperament to do nothing but write copy because I am, I lean more to the introverted side, but I don't want to just bake in front of a computer screen all day long. I like to get out. I like to have lunch with friends. I like to, you know, do other things. Yeah,
0: and take photos because you love taking it, photos. That,
1: and that I mean that's, you know, I get I get little alerts from my photographer friends. Hey there's this bird down at the lagoon, we're going tomorrow morning at six, You wanted to go, and then my clients are in trouble because they get that email, I won't be available tomorrow, <laughs> you know. You always
0: go out and it, it just, I love pictures first. That. All right, guys, just give me a second. I'm just gonna pause the show for just a quick moment and we'll be right back, and it'll just take a second for you guys, but it'll take like, I don't know, like five seconds for us. Hold on a moment. so hopefully, that, yeah, there we go. Great, so guys, uh, welcome back. So essentially, what I was going to ask, uh, particularly for you, Bob, was um, it's one of my favorite questions to ask on the show, and it's it's going to be three. Yeah, we're going to go with three. So I want to ask, what would be two nonfiction books that you'd recommend anyone read, any entrepreneur read? Could be about copy, could be about stories, could be about minds, could be anything that you want. Nonfiction is the rule. And the other one is it could be a fictional movie or a fictional book that impacted you in a way that's helped you in your career so what would those three be okay
1: so i'm going to give an answer that's probably different than most people and and some people will like it a lot and some people will hate it a lot i don't really recommend any books i don't recommend a lot of reading wow. okay. and i'll tell you why and that's not to say that i don't read books I, I can see your office right now, there's a ton of books right behind you. Yeah, but you know, most of those books are on product development and inventing and toys and stuff like that. But the only book I really recommend everybody read is The Twenty Manager by Richard Koch, K-O-C-H. It has done more for both my life and my career than any book I've ever read. It's the only book I've read multiple times and every time I read it, I get more from it. But here's why I don't read much and I don't recommend reading much. I think a lot of people read instead of do. There's always more to read. There's a new blog, there's a new book, there's a new hack, there's a new this or that. But I believe that 90% of people know exactly what to do And they have more than enough information. So I like to get information from things like this, from podcasts, from short interviews, and from articles, and from blog posts. Because people boil down the real meat of it to a short, tight segment. Books, and when I do read a book, I'll tell people too, if you're going to read a book, you can get 90% of what's in almost any book by reading the first chapter, the the introduction, and the last chapter. So the introduction, they tell you, here's exactly what's in this book. The first chapter, they set the stage. This is everything you're going to learn. The last chapter, they summarize what they covered. Then you can, if there's certain things that were valuable and there's not enough information, you can go pick those out. But you can also see, well, I knew 70% of that, yeah. you know, and uh, it's the same reason our schools stink, because they make kids take tests on information where they already know 70% of it. What you really want to do is find out the 30% they don't know and help them learn that, and that's really what happens with a lot of people with reading. They're putting in all this time reading stuff. And they know most or all of it. So I say I say, do four things for every one thing you read and you'll be better off.
0: See, I love that advice because that is something I believe in uh, quite frequently. And the reason I always ask about books particularly um, is just quite simply because, again, it's a universal access code. The books that I actually – and your method, by the way, you kind of gave away the farm is how uh, I actually read books most of the time. Is I read the contents page, the introduction, the first chapter, the last chapter. Then what I do is I speed read through the entire thing. So I don't stop. I just keep turning the pages very quickly. And I look at the chapter headings in just the first little tidbits. So like, if anything grabs my attention, I'll read it and then go back to the speed I was at. And what I find is in, a, in about a one hour period, I would have been able to assimilate, discern, and take on the information I need from that book almost immediately in an hour and then now it's like application time to put it forward right unless right. it's a unless it's a fiction book because I do love reading fiction and crime novels are my oh, yeah. guilty Fic- of person.
1: yeah 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 I like crime and spy novels and historical spy novels I love that type but that's different and um, you, fiction you have to read page by page because they're building characters and plots you can't
0: okay jump out So I'm going to switch my question around. What are the three fictional books or movies that you'd recommend people watch that you truly enjoy? Wow. Okay. Um,
1: So one of my favorite movies of all time is a a movie called Rob Roy with uh, Liam Neeson and Tim Roth. And it's just about the bonds between people and communities and the challenges and, and how morals and ethics are more important than just getting ahead. So I love that. Um, I also love really dark, quirky movies. And one of my favorite is a movie called In Bruges. Oh, I love In Bruges. Have you seen Seven Psychopaths? I have, but I didn't like it nearly as much as
0: In Bruges. In Bruges is kind of a high bar to set to get going.
1: Um, It was so great when they're in this gunfight at the end. Yes. And they're just these corrupt, evil, nasty people, and they're setting up the rules of order for their gunfight. <laughs> like, it was just it was so funny. So that's the second one. I'm trying to think of the third Um, you know it's funny I'm not like I never liked any of the Star Wars movies I love outer space and the idea of it but I didn't like Star Wars very much but I really loved Close Encounters of the Third Kind because I thought that's what it would really be like and then recently there was a movie about contact with aliens I can't remember the name of it came out about a year and a half ago, it was Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner.
0: Oh, I think oh. I know which one it is. Hold on, I'm not it, it starts with an A, I think. Uh, It's not Aliens, it's called Amy Adams. I'm just going to look her up, her filmography okay. should come up. Yeah. Uh, do, 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 do. Wait, where is her film... We oh, don't get this. Oh, there we go. Awards for list. Um, Jeremy Renner, right? You said Jeremy Renner, was not it? Yeah, but keep going. I'm going to, I'm going to find this. So anyway, that
1: those movies, and it's funny. I also find that, um, um, just reading anything or watching anything stimulates ideas. Like people will say to me, well, you're an inventor. Do you watch shark tank? And sometimes I do, but Um, I don't get ideas from Shark Tank. I get ideas just from watching stuff in general. I'll see, you know, I'll see and uh, I'll I'll be reading an article online and some ad comes up and I go, oh, I can take that headline and flip it and do this with it. Or it's an ad for a product and I'll go, oh, that interests me. And then I go look at the product and go, ah, like I just saw this thing on this great three-wheel um, electric trike for adults. And it's got all these, like, ball bearings built into it. So it, it's really maneuverable, and you can't fall. But it's electric, and, of course, electric and alternative energy, especially in California, is the big thing. But it's got a range of 40 miles, and it costs $7,000. I thought, who's going to spend it? And so I was really excited by it when I saw it. I thought, I want to get one of these. And then when I saw a range of 40 miles, and whatever the stated range of something is, usually you're going to get 75% of that at most. So now it really probably has a range of maybe 30, 35 miles. And I thought, if they would have put a 50cc gas engine on this, no pollution, you're going to get 150 to 200 miles per gallon, and people will love it, and it'll be useful. And you'll still take, you know, it'll be great for the environment because it's such a tiny engine, and it'll take people out of these vehicles that create so much pollution, but they had to be completely politically correct and make it electric and ruined it. So from there, if I wanted to, I might think about developing an alternative product around that. So like I said, just, you know, little ads, things I see on even just watching TV shows, you know, or movies, you know, uh, and like we said, we both like, spy novels. There's yeah. all kinds of things that come up and they're like, oh yeah. I really wish apply, I was that that could you. apply to marketing, you know.
0: Oh I I've sometimes written ads entirely from spy novels. Like I've taken I've taken an entire storyline and repurposed the entire bit for like an, an email. Uh, but I was gonna say the movie that we were thinking of was Arrival or well, Arrivals. Yes yeah, Arrival, Arrival I said yeah, starts that's with that. an Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's a really good movie. It's,
1: it's really about communication it's not necessarily about aliens and that's what close <laughs> encounters was too whereas star wars is just a big car chase in outer space and
0: pretty much it's the hero's journey played out over like yeah action sequences more than anything yeah. but i'm a huge star wars fan so it does it's a thing and everyone's got their own thing i would say uh as a, as a
1: i thought we were going to be friends
0: oh, i know right? just so heartbroken. <laughs> bro <laughs> I'm just kidding it's one of those things uh, but no. for me I'd say a book I'd recommend for you to read uh, if you like crime novels if you haven't already is a guy called Chris Carter uh, and the first book in his novel series is the Crucifix Killer
1: okay just uh, and,
0: right down and the reason is I get every one of my copycubs to read this as like their homework in the first first week they work with me um and the reason is because the sto- because uh, at the time that I started reading this, I- I'm dyslexic as well, which is hilarious when you write ads as well uh, yeah. for a living and you're dyslexic. Um, I have a really hard time consuming books, so I usually go audiobooks um, and put them on twice speed, so I can like it can keep up with me. Or sometimes I'll sit down with a really good book and I'll just get engrossed for hours. But it takes something special, like my generation we grew up with harry potter and later on i reread the tolkien series and i really loved it but it took a very special amount of like world building to keep me engaged um that was until i read chris carter's books i was working on my novel at the same time and surprisingly by some happenstance we have very similar character names um for our main character his is robert hunter mine is riley hunter gray it's really really similar Completely coincidental, because I didn't know about him until a few years later. So uh, Chris started writing this thing, and I remember picking up the book and reading it. I finished, I think it was like two, three, 300 odd pages. I finished the book in 40 hours. I I couldn't put the book down. And I'm I'm the king of spoilers. Like, I love spoilers. If you tell me, like, oh, hey, this happened in a movie, I would be like, great, I'm totally up for that. I'll go watch it. I want to see it now. (laughs) so i don't really mind i don't mind spoilers for this book i had to i could feel myself fighting myself trying to like i want to know what the twist is let me know i was like no but i can't i want to read it and he had me completely dangling um like with a carrot in front of me the entire time it took me as i said like a day day and a half i read the entire book i put off client work to read this book As soon as I was done, I mailed my client saying, I'm sending you this book. You have to read it. It's just so brilliant. You know,
1: it's funny you said that because I have never stayed up two hours later than I planned on reading a business book. But I've done it multiple times (laughs) reading crime novels or spy novels. Or watching movies or TV shows. Yeah. I should go to bed. I got to. I'm getting up early tomorrow. I've got a call with so and so. I've got to be on it.
0: I can't put it down, you know. And but and you make little deals with yourself, like okay, just just like up until the end of this chapter, and I'll be fine. And then you're like, oh no, there's a, I've got to read the next one. Here's I made
1: one. a deal. I made a deal with myself that way with it. This big chocolate bar, and at the end of my deal, the whole bar was gone in about a half an
0: hour. What? My deal, I crumbled, I um, crumbled under my deal. I don't blame you, I've done that so many times. But Bob, one of my favorite questions before we uh, we, we, we wrap up this interview is this question that I have, I love asking people, I'm sure every entrepreneur, especially like us, we've all gone through it, and it's this ideal of the moment that your confidence has been knocked so badly that you're basically on the ground and you're like, I don't know if I can get back up again. What did you do or how did you start building inroads back to regain that confidence to, to know that everything was going to be okay and pull yourself out of like any sort of like dark hole that you might have got yourself lost into if you had done? I use a
1: really simple technique. and I don't remember if somebody taught me this or if I just figured it out on my own, but I know I taught it to my son when he was very young because he was a very active, very driven kind of kid. And it's, I look back on my life, and I look at everything, and I go, you know what? The good things never turned out to be as big as I thought they'd be at the time, and the bad things never turned out to be as big as I projected they'd be at the time. They were much more fluctuating, good, not so good, good, not so good, good, but it was never good to out of the ballpark, and it it was never bad to horrible, to more horrible, it was bad, little horrible, bad, little horrible, bad, Look, then even out. And I just try to remember that, that almost every (coughs) situation I've been in, other than peak experiences, I mean getting married, seeing being in the room my son was born seeing the look in his eyes when he got his first dog things like that certain vacations we've taken the first time i ever saw a bald eagle things like that those are like real peak experiences but for the most part life like like when you have a hit and, you, you know, you did really great for a client. you go, man, it's just all up for here. It's going to get bigger and bigger. And I'm going to own this agency. And then I'm going to get this Ferrari that I'm going to give to somebody to get groceries because I don't want to be seen in a Terrar- Ferrari. I only want to be in a Bugatti Veyron. And I'm going to do it. It doesn't work out that way usually. No. For a few no. people, maybe. So I just try to remember that there are fluctuations in everything, but they aren't usually as great as we project them to be or as horrible as we project them to be. And that helps me. And it doesn't mean that you're not gonna feel bad when you're feeling bad or or that you shouldn't feel good when you're feeling good. But, you know, there. it's funny. It, somebody once said, just because it's pouring rain in Boston doesn't mean it's pouring rain in Portugal, yeah. you know? So whatever you're involved in, in the moment, most of it is not gonna stay that way forever. And so that helps me a lot.
0: That and is that, amazing. That, that's a great little way of doing it. But you were gonna say, sorry I interrupted.
1: And then in marketing, everything, I mean, we've all heard it 185,000 times, but everything really is a test. I sent out, an email today. and in, went. Oh, I'm going to get up and see how it did. Maybe it did great. I, I hope it did great. I think it will, but maybe it bombed. And some of the things that I think will do the best bomb, and some of the things that I think will do the best do great. And then there's a lot of stuff in between. So um, I think, you know, if if you take yourself or anything too seriously, or or you know, Gary Halbert used to say once you start believing your own bu- bullshit you're done it's over yeah. and, and and that happens I you know I see people especially on Facebook saying um, you know how to become an instant uh, an instant celebrity in your market and I used to know nothing now I'm this and I'm that and people look for me you start believing that you don't have to be a celebrity you just have to be the best you you can be, and good at what
0: you do. Yeah, I mm-hmm. agree entirely, Bob. Thank you so much for actually taking the time and actually spending it with us today, um, and just sharing stories and being open and just taking part with everything and indulging me in my in my crazy fanboy questions that I have for you.
1: And um, I I really enjoyed it. It was um, I mean it was just fun every every step of the way. So I appreciate you having me.
0: Oh man, I'm so glad to have you on. And if it's cool, I'd love to have you on in the future as well as a uh, future guest, just constantly because I think it'd be great to have on, um, over and over again. But yeah, because uh, maybe by then I'll switch to Nikon or Sony, and we can talk. Oh, <laughs> how, yeah, if you do, I want photos of this stuff so I can actually put it up as well. But guys, go check out salesgrowth uh, sorry salesgrowthsystems.com. Why do I keep forgetting about this? Go to salesworthsystems.com Check it out. Um, link's in the description as always. And Bob, you've been an absolute pleasure to have on my show, man. I'm pretty glad that we got to do this. And guys, Thanks. I will see you on the next episode.
1: Thanks so much. All right, cool.